Chapter Fifty Three of the Old Curiosity Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Curiosity Shop by Charles Dickens. Chapter Fifty Three. Nell was stirring early in the morning, and having discharged her household tasks and put everything in order for the good schoolmaster, though sorely against his will, for he would have spared her the pains, took down from its nail by the fireside a little bundle of keys with which the bachelor had formerly invested her on the previous day, and went out alone to visit the old church. The sky was serene and bright, the air clear, perfumed with the fresh scent of newly fallen leaves, and grateful to every sense. The neighbouring stream sparkled and rolled onward with a tuneful sound. The dew glistened on the green mounds, like tears shed by good spirits over the dead. Some young children sported among the tombs, and hid from each other with laughing faces. They had an infant with them, and had laid it down asleep upon a child's grave, in a little bed of leaves. It was a new grave, the resting-place perhaps of some little creature, who, Meek and patient in its illness had often sat and watched them, and now seemed to their minds scarcely changed. She drew near and asked one of them whose grave it was. The child answered that that was not its name. It was a garden, his brother's. It was greener, he said, than all the other gardens, and the birds loved it better because he had been used to feed them. When he had done speaking, he looked at her with a smile, and kneeling down and nestling for a moment with his cheek against the turf, bounded merrily away. She passed the church, gazing upward at its old tower, went through the wicked gate, and so into the village. The old sexton, leaning on a crutch, was taking the air at his cottage door, and gave her good morrow. "'You are better,' said the child, stopping to speak with him. "'Ay, surely,' returned the old man, "'I'm thankful to say much better.' "'You will be quite well soon.' "'With heaven's leave and a little patience. "'But come in, come in.' The old man limped on before, and warning her of the downward step, which he achieved himself with no small difficulty, led the way into his little cottage. "'It is but one room, you see. "'There is another up above.' but the stair has got harder to climb all eight years, and I never use it. I'm thinking of taking to it again next summer, though. The child wondered how a grey-headed man like him, one of his trade too, could talk of time so easily. He saw her eyes wandering to the tools that hung upon the wall, and smiled. I warrant now, he said, that you think all those are used in making graves. Indeed, I wonder that you wanted so many. And well you might. I am a gardener. I dig the ground and plant things that are to live and grow. My works don't all moulder away and rot in the earth. You see that spade in the centre? The very old one? So notched and worn. Yes. That's the sexton's spade, and it's a well-used one, as you see. We're healthy people here, but it has done a power of work. If it could speak now, that spade, it would tell you of many an unexpected job that it and I have done together. But I forget him, for my memory's a poor one. 
That's nothing new, he added hastily. It always was. There are flowers and shrubs to speak to your other work, said the child. Oh, yes, and tall trees, but they are not so separated from the sexton's labors as you think. No. Not in my mind and recollection, such as it is, said the old man. Indeed, they often help it. For say that I planted such a tree for such a man. There it stands to remind me that he died. When I look at its broad shadow and remember that it was in his time, it helps me to the age of my other work, and I can tell you pretty nearly when I made his grave. But it may remind you of one who is still alive, said the child. Of twenty that are dead in connection with that one who lives then, rejoined the old man. Wife, husband, parents, brothers, sisters, children, friends, a score at least. So it happens that the sexton's spade gets worn and battered. I shall need a new one next summer. The child looked quickly towards him, thinking that he jested with his age and infirmity. But the unconscious sexton was quite in earnest. Ah, he said after a brief silence, people never learn. They never learn. It's only we who turn up the ground, where nothing grows and everything decays. Who think of such things as these? Who think of them properly, I mean? You have been into the church? I am going there now, the child replied. There's an old well there, said the sexton, right underneath the belfry, a deep, dark, echoing well. Forty years ago, you had only to let down the bucket till the first knot in the rope was free of the windlass, and you heard it splashing in the cold, dull water. By little and little the water fell away, so that in ten years after that a second knot was made, and you must unwind so much rope, or the bucket swung tight and empty at the end. In ten years' time the water fell again, and a third knot was made. In ten years more the well dried up, and now, if you lower the bucket till your arms are tired and let out nearly all the cord, you'll hear it of a sudden clanking and rattling on the ground below, with the sound of being so deep and so far down that your heart leaps into your mouth and you start away as if you were falling in. A dreadful place to come on in the dark, exclaimed the child, who had followed the old man's looks and words until she seemed to stand upon its brink. What is it but a grave? said the sexton. What else? And which of our old folks, knowing all this, thought, as the spring subsided, of their own failing strength and lessening life? Not one. Are you very old yourself? asked the child involuntarily. I shall be seventy-nine next summer. You still work when you are well? Work, to be sure. You shall see my gardens hereabout. Look at the window there. I made and have kept that plot of ground entirely with my own hands. By this time next year I shall hardly see the sky. The boughs will have grown so thick. I have my winter work at night besides. He opened as he spoke a cupboard close to where he sat, and produced some miniature boxes, carved in a homely manner and made of old wood. Some gentlefolks who are fond of ancient days and what belongs to them, he said, like to buy these keepsakes from our church and ruins. Sometimes I make them of scraps of oak, 
that turn up here and there, sometimes of bits of coffins which the vaults have long preserved. See here. This is a little chest of the last kind, clasped at the edges with fragments of brass plates that had writing on them once, though it would be hard to read it now. I haven't many by me at this time of year, but these shelves will be full next summer. The child admired and praised his work, and shortly afterwards departed, thinking as she went how strange it was, that this old man, drawing from his pursuits and everything around him one stern moral, never contemplated its application to himself, and while he dwelt upon the uncertainty of human life, seemed both in word and deed to deem himself immortal. But her musings did not stop here, for she was wise enough to think that by a good and merciful adjustment this must be human nature, and that the old sexton, with his plans for next summer, was but a type of all mankind. Full of these meditations she reached the church. It was easy to find the key belonging to the outer door, for each was labelled on a scrap of yellow parchment. Its very turning in the lock awoke a hollow sound, and when she entered with a faltering step, the echoes that it raised in closing made her start. Everything in our lives, whether of good or evil, affects us most by contrast. If the peace of the simple village had moved the child more strongly because of the dark and troubled ways that lay beyond and through which she had journeyed with such failing feet, what was the deep impression of finding herself alone in that solemn building, where the very light coming through sunken windows seemed old and grey, and the air, redolent of earth and mould, seemed laden with decay purified by time of all its grosser particles and sighed through arch and aisle and clustered pillars like the breath of ages gone. Here was the broken pavement worn so long ago by pious feet that time, stealing on the pilgrim's steps, had trodden out their track and left but crumbling stones. Here were the rotten beam, the sinking arch, the sapped and mouldering wall, the lowly trench of earth, the stately tomb on which no epitaph remained, all marble, stone, iron, wood and dust, one common monument of ruin. The best work and the worst, the plainest and the richest, the stateliest and the least imposing, both of heaven's work and man's, all found one common level here and told one common tale. Some part of the edifice had been a baronial chapel, and here were effigies of warriors stretched upon their beds of stone with folded hands, cross-legged, those who had fought in the holy wars, girded with their swords, and cased in armour as they had lived. Some of these knights had their own weapons, helmets, coats of mail, hanging upon the walls hard by, and dangling from rusty hooks, broken and dilapidated as they were, they yet retained their ancient form and something of their ancient aspect. Thus violent deeds live after men upon the earth, and traces of war and bloodshed will survive in mournful shapes, long after those who worked the desolation are but atoms of earth themselves. The child sat down in this old, silent place, among the stark figures on the tombs. They made it more quiet there than elsewhere, to her fancy, and gazing round with a feeling of awe, tempered with a calm delight, 
felt that now she was happy and at rest. She took a Bible from the shelf and read. Then, laying it down, thought of the summer days and the bright springtime that would come, of the rays of sun that would fall in a slant upon the sleeping forms, of the leaves that would flutter at the window and play in glistening shadows on the pavement, of the songs of birds and growth of buds and blossoms out of doors, of the sweet air that would steal in and gently wave the tattered banners overhead. What if the spot awakened thoughts of death? Die who would, it would still remain the same. These sights and sounds would still go on as happily as ever. It would be no pain to sleep amidst them. She left the chapel, very slowly and often turning back to gaze again, and coming to a low door, which plainly led into the tower, opened it, and climbed the winding stair in darkness. Save where she looked down through narrow loopholes on the place she had left, or caught a glimmering vision of the dusty bells. At length she gained the end of the ascent and stood upon the turret top. Oh, the glory of the sudden burst of light! the freshness of the fields and woods stretching away on every side and meeting the bright blue sky, the cattle grazing in the pasturage, the smoke that coming from among the trees seemed to rise upward from the green earth, the children yet as their gambles down below, all, everything, so beautiful and happy. It was like passing from death to life. It was drawing nearer heaven. The children were gone by the time she emerged into the porch and locked the door. As she passed the schoolhouse she could hear the busy hum of voices. Her friend had begun his labours only that day. The noise grew louder, and looking back she saw the boys come trooping out and disperse themselves with merry shouts and play. It's a good thing, thought the child. I am very glad they passed the church. And then she stopped to fancy how the noise would sound inside, and how gently it would seem to die away upon the ear. Again that day, yes, twice again, she stole back to the old chapel, and in her former seat read from the same book, or indulged the same quiet train of thought. Even when it had grown dusk, and the shadows of coming night made it more solemn still, the child remained like one rooted to the spot, and had no fear or thought of stirring. They found her there at last, and took her home. She looked pale, but very happy, until they separated for the night. And then, as the poor schoolmaster stooped down to kiss her cheek, he thought he felt a tear upon his face. End of chapter 53